Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. Welcome back to Peace, Love, and Baseball, friends and fans. I'm your host, K-Bird Tweets. And hey, the World Series is well underway. We are going to get in some fun facts and interesting aspects of the two World Series teams, the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks, on today's episode. But we're also going to learn about the Mexican holiday, Dia de los Muertos, the meaning and the traditions around the holiday being celebrated all over the world this week. And of course, I've got your weekly report to kick things off. But before we get into all of that, I want to give a very special birthday shout out to my uncle Brian, who is celebrating, well, I believe as he told me, the 20th anniversary of his 50th birthday today on October 31st, the day that this episode is coming out on Halloween. So happy birthday, Uncle Brian. He has always inspired my love of baseball and is still a very avid and dedicated Cardinals and baseball fan to this very day. We actually had a really fun 60th birthday party for him 10 years ago now. And that was, it was like one of my favorite family events. I remember I had my first scotch ever at his 60th birthday party. Good way to celebrate an old man, right? I drink like an old man, so it worked out well for me. But hey, also celebrating a birthday today is our very own producer, June. Yes, my pup, June. And I'm looking over here because she is laying in a dog bed right next to me. My pup, June, is six years old today. My little Halloween pup. So we actually adopted June from a, a shelter. So honestly, I'm not sure like how totally accurate her her birthday is, but the shelter that we got her from partners with a lot of shelters in the South, a lot of kill shelters. So, I mean, she very well may have been actually born in one of those shelters or rescued from a puppy mill kind of situation. They do a lot of that where maybe they actually do know what day she was born. But what we, what we do know for sure is that she is from Mississippi. She's a Southern gal and she has a brother that she was rescued with. And we sure are happy that she was born and she sits here silently most of the time while I record. All right, friends, let's get into our weekly report, which uh, if you've been listening to the last month or so of episodes, then you know it is what I am reading, eating, playing obsessing over and recommending and treating you two and myself to this week. So first of all, what I'm reading this week, want to take a moment to mention that I'm sure you're well aware by now that we lost the iconic actor, Matthew Perry, most well-known for his role as Chandler Bing on Friends, which obviously is a huge part of my life as a millennial and 
just really, really sad news. He was 54 years old, and he recently in the last couple years has been very open about sharing about his struggles with addiction. And what I'm going to be reading this week, and I suggest you to do the same, is his biography or his memoir, I guess is, is what it more is, called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. I remember listening to a bunch of interviews with him that were really well done and a lot of great coverage around this book coming out a while back, but I never actually took the time to read the book. And the interviews were really intriguing and really interesting and just his vulnerability and strength and the things that he is willing to share in this book, I think are definitely you know messages that are worth hearing for anyone and everyone. And in remembrance of him, obviously, we have all of his great works. He's an absolutely hilarious person that shared that side of himself with us as well, which is amazing. Rewatch Friends, rewatch Fool's Russian with Salma Hayek was like one of my other favorite non-friends things that he did. But, you know, download the audiobook. He narrates it. So that's that's what I'm going to do since, you know, I like audiobooks, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, or get yourself a hard copy. And let's give it a read this week. We will miss you. Everyone will miss you in many capacities. Matthew Perry. Moving on to eating. I'm always eating all the things, but here's what I decided I want to tell you about this week. Breakfast. Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. And if I was backed against a wall and I had to tell you like what my favorite food is, I have a lot of favorite foods. So my cop out would be to tell you that breakfast food is my favorite food. I have eggs every single day, every day. It's super, super rare that I would not have eggs for breakfast. Different forms, not, not picky about it, not particular. I usually have like over easy eggs, either with some rice or sometimes I'll have scrambled eggs if I'm having like another carb, but eggs every day, have them. They're great for you. That's what I believe. And clearly I'm right. Don't tell me about your forks over knives documentaries. I don't want to know. Eggs are good. <laughs> and the other thing that I want to particularly recommend in breakfast food that I have a lot at home, I love going out for breakfast too, but we make a good breakfast for ourselves every day at home, me and my husband, whether it's together or separately, depending on our schedules. But the other thing that we have a lot, we always pretty much have on the weekends is these protein waffles. It's a mix. It's pre-made. It's called Kodiak Cakes. And they have them in some different flavors. They have like chocolate chip ones and buttermilk and whatever. And we make them in our waffle maker. But obviously, you can make them as pancakes or whatever you want to do with the mix. But I've also made like my own mix of waffle batter. And it's actually pretty easy to do. So maybe I'll talk more about that sometime. But yeah, it's basically just like flour and you can put some vital proteins powder in it and, and stuff like that. Um, but the, the Kodiak cakes is super user, user friendly. Can't screw it up. I actually add some applesauce and like some cinnamon in there. Uh, which is not on the box, just makes it a little more flavorful, you know, and then you don't feel like you have to use as much syrup. So yeah, that's what I'm eating uh, this week, every week and give it a shot. But more than anything, like I don't care what you have for breakfast, just eat breakfast. There's so many people who don't eat breakfast and it upsets me <laughs> because it's really important. And I really think it like regulates your brain and your body for the day. 
And it might take your body a little bit to get used to it if you're so used to not eating anything. But trust me, it will be for the better. All right, I'm getting off my breakfast soapbox now. Let's talk about what's playing in these ears this week. This is another thing that like you can take control of a lot of things in your environment, right? And that's what I found that I like talking about these things on the weekly report is there's a lot of things that we're not in control of, but we can kind of change our mood, change the vibe, change the way that our brain is reacting to things by controlling some things in the environment around us. And what I'm going to recommend to you for what we're playing this week is a soundtrack that I love to listen to in the mornings or, you know, if I'm driving and it's like, I live in the Chicago area. So pretty much anytime I have to go anywhere, it's like not enjoyable. And I have to drive in traffic and it takes me a half hour to go three miles. It's terrible. So I put on the soundtrack and the vibes are great. It just gets me in a different place than I would be otherwise. It is the soundtrack for the movie, The Holiday. If you haven't seen the movie, you know, you should play that as well. But it's the movie with um, Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz and Jude Law and Jack Black. It's probably like 10 years old at this point or whatever. It's technically a Christmas movie. Um, so great time to to break it out because, you know, after today, like tomorrow's the start of the Christmas season. I'm sure we'll talk more about that debate on future episodes. But the holiday soundtrack, the music from the holiday, impeccable, amazing. You could just press play on that first soundtrack. It's one you can just let it play all the way through. It's got a lot of instrumental music that's really beautiful. And again, just is like going to make you feel like you're living in the kind of movie that you want to live in, regardless of what you're doing. You can be doing something totally simple, like driving in Chicago traffic. Or it also has some like fun kind of throwback songs from amazing artists that songs you've definitely heard before, but maybe you totally forgot about. So I'm going to link it in the show notes and we're going to play that holiday soundtrack this week. Check it. All right. My obsession is what I'm wearing, and that is this Snakes Alive. I'm fully on the Snakes Alive train for the World Series. My shirt is brought to you by John Boy Media. John Boy, thank you for giving the people what they want. I'm making this my obsession for the week because not only am I obsessed with the whole Snakes Alive movement, brilliant. I'm going to link the story that The Athletic did about the birth of the Snakes Alive movement and who we have to thank for that because it's just a great, really fun story. But I'm also obsessed with all of John Boy's postseason merch. It's really cute. It's really unique. It's totally different. And I feel like it's maybe, you know, if, if you're an older baseball fan, do not take this the wrong way. But particularly for like the millennial and even Gen Z, is that what's below me? I don't even know. <laughs> but the younger baseball fans, this might really be your vibe. And it's just really cool and colorful. And I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I hope, I hope we can all be good enough baseball fans that you won't be mad that I'm sitting here with all my cardinal stuff and I'm wearing my Diamondbacks Snakes Alive shirt. Like it's the 2023 postseason movement around the world. So get on board. But I also ordered like some other team merch. I got some other team merch too. So I'll share with you eventually, but like, I'm just a baseball fan. You guys, I can't help it. And obviously if anyone's playing the Cardinals, I'm rooting for the Cardinals, but 
they have some really great stuff. Um, check it out. A lot of fun stuff there. And it's very well priced too, which I think is cool. Like sometimes when you're on MLB.com, you're like, I want this, but it's so expensive. I could like do a lot of other things with this amount of money. And anyway, it's, I feel like it's like good quality stuff there that is unique and different and it's not going to break the bank. So there's my obsession this week. Hook yourself up. They got some good sweatshirts and stuff too. So you can wear it all off season long. All right. We are moving right along, right down this report here to what I'm recommending. Oh, I always get to this part and I'm like, I'm recommending all of these things technically, but I don't know. It's Halloween. So I feel like I got to recommend some Halloween costumes. And okay, I actually wasn't necessarily planning on this, but I'm going to share with you my favorite Halloween costume. It can't really be recommended because, well, it, it's just, it was very timely. And I suppose my recommendations for you today are going to be very timely too. But my favorite Halloween costume that I ever had, and I got really into it when I was a kid was in the year 2000. Actually, it was in the year 1999 because it was about to be 2000. It was the year 1999. I think I was in fourth grade in 1999, I think, third or fourth grade. And I was the Y2K bug. So my dad helped me make this costume and I had like painted my face like a weird color, like a bug. I had little antennas like a bug. And then my dad helped me make a computer screen out of a box. And in the front of the screen just had like a big question mark. And on the back, it said, you should have bought a Mac. And my dad just thought that was like the funniest, most clever thing ever, which it, it is. It was. Um, but he was always like a hardcore Mac user. Still am to this day. I can't use a PC to save my life, even though I do for work. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite costumes. I felt like it was super original. I felt like it was easy enough that people got it. Like I didn't have to explain it to people. Um, and I don't know, as a nine-year-old or 10-year-old around that time period, I was really fascinated by all the conversation around the you know Y2K and the possibility of all this craziness happening. And yeah, it was just like a way to kind of have fun with it and stop stressing over all of the crazy things that were out there in the media during that time. But that was probably my favorite costume. My other favorite one would be the year that, okay, I've always lived in uh, places where it's cold this time of year. I've lived in either central Illinois, in New York City, or in Chicago. So as a child, I was living in central Illinois middle of the state, middle of the country. And much like it is uh, today, this year on Halloween, it was like 40 degrees, cold, rainy. And it was it was raining particularly a lot on this Halloween night. I can't remember exactly what year this was, but me and my brother and sister were all definitely still of trick-or-treating age, like where it was the most exciting and we all really, really wanted to do it. And we were so sad that we couldn't go out because it was raining so hard. And my dad put black garbage bags over all of us and called us the California raisins. And we went out and went trick-or-treating as the California raisins because my mom was like not going to let us go outside otherwise. Um, and yeah, we made it work. So that's one of my fondest Halloween memories. 
And it's the little things like that that stick with kids. So that's kind of why I bring it up too. But okay, what I'm recommending, if you need a last minute Halloween costume, I hope you have seen the Randy Johnson and the bird costume that's out there. I'm sure you have. It's like all over the internet. If you're a baseball fan, you've probably seen it by now. Uh, quick backstory, Randy Johnson hit a bird, uh, when he was throwing a pitch one time, like how insane that that would happen. And obviously this was a long time ago, but he had this white bird. It like burst into feathers. Really sad. I've never actually watched the video. You can't make me watch it because I hate birds and I hate bad things happening to animals even more. But this girl is dressed as like a, uh, in like a white leotard with the feather boa and like some blood spots on her as like the dead bird. And then the guy with her is dressed in a diamondbacks uniform as, as Randy Johnson. It's amazing. Brilliant. So if you don't have time to put that together or you don't have, you know, a bird for your Randy Johnson costume or a Randy Johnson for your bird costume, here are some ideas that I have for you pretty last minute, you'll only need, you know, a few things for each of these. Gabe Kapler would be a great costume. All you really need is a perfectly shaped and lightly peppered beard, the black rim glasses, A-Rod's makeup. I don't know if you know this, but Alex Rodriguez has a men's makeup line. You do you. I mean, it, it really works for him, obviously, on Fox or whatever channel he's on. <laughs> And I am convinced that Gabe Kapler wears it because his skin is so perfect. <laughs> it's wrong. And then also to top off your Gabe Kapler costume, you're going to need the help wanted ads, right? Because as we talked about recently, he was fired from the Giants. So that's how everybody will know that you are Gabe Kapler. You could also go as Max Scherzer. Now, depending on the color of your eyes, you're going to have to get either a blue colored contact or a brown colored contact. And if you have green eyes, I don't know what to tell you. You have to get two colored contacts. But for me, I would need one brown colored contact. So hook that up. And then you need a reversible Mets and Rangers hat, you know, to be representative of the whole season. And then you also need a self-talk script because I think the other thing that really identifies Max Scherzer is when he's talking to himself, right? Like that's really just going to put the finishing touch on the costume. And everybody's going to know who you are. A few honorable mentions here, just people who I think have really iconic looks in Major League Baseball right now that you could clearly dress up as and like everyone would know who you were. Brendan Marsh, obviously of the Phillies. Andrew Chafin, no longer with the Diamondbacks, but he has been around Marcus Stroman with, you know, okay, I was looking up because Marcus Stroman has like a ton of really amazing tattoos. And there's this article that was done years and years ago on him that actually tells you what every single one of his tattoos means. But it was before he got his neck tattoos, which I think are like the most, I mean, it's because of where they're at, right? You can see them when he's wearing his full uniform, but they're so intricate. And one of them is like very specifically of someone's face. And so I really wanted to know who it was. I don't know. If you can find out, let me know. I didn't dig too deep, but yeah, he's, he's got a look. You wear your Cubs uniform, your neck tattoos, be Marcus Stroman, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I'm obsessed with his purple hair. I actually just saw a post right before I started recording from the Diamondbacks that, uh, 
Geraldo Perdomo is dressed up like Lord Iscariel Jr. and has the the purple fluff on his head looking so fly. So there's a good one. And then this one is kind of like a dual costume, but I think you could dress up like Noah Syndergaard. But if you're going to dress up like Noah Syndergaard, you should dress up like Noah Syndergaard as Thor. So maybe like as Thor with like an angel's jersey on or whatever is that's the last team he played for right <laughs> i don't even know okay those are my recommendations you know take them or leave them last minute costumes what can i say we're gonna wrap up this report with the treat and since it is it is the day we trick or treat i'm just gonna say the treat this week is my favorite halloween candy and I don't consume a lot of candy anymore. Like, I just really have to be in the mood for it. I'm way more of a salty than, like, sugar kind of person. So, like, I could eat chips and salsa until I feel sick. Like, I just, that's, like, that's my ultimate treat. But if I was, like, going to go ham on some Halloween candy, the thing that I would really want is those Reese's Pumpkins. And it's, it's specific to the pumpkins because I really believe that whether it's Reese's eggs, Reese's pumpkins, Reese's trees, whatever other holiday Reese's they make, those are the ones that you got to get. Those are the best because they're the freshest. They have a different flavor to them. I swear to you, I am convinced. Maybe it's just a mental thing, but Reese's pumpkins, superior. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Do you have one that as a kid you were always like, that's the one I want? I guess I really liked nerds as a kid too. That was probably the like not chocolate candy that I would have wanted. Would you take all of the same Halloween candy in your bucket if you could? Would you get like all one thing or would you rather have a good variety with maybe some stuff that you didn't really like in there? Hmm. That's the question of the day. Trick or treat. Well, this week is also a big holiday around the world known as Dia de los Muertos. And I think this holiday has like come to be a little bit more well known, but it is still mistaken for other things. And I still there's I think there's a lot of things that maybe aren't that well known about it. So let's talk about Dia de los Muertos or the Day of the Dead. Here's what it's not. It is not the Mexican Halloween like it is sometimes mistaken to be because obviously because of the time of the year. So the two holidays originated with similar afterlife beliefs, but are very different in how they're celebrated and the meaning behind them in modern day. Halloween actually began as a Celtic festival where people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts. But obviously now it's more in the tradition of costume wearing, trick-or-treating, all that fun stuff, and decorating your house with you know spiders and bats. By the way, I don't think anyone decorated for Halloween the way that they do now. Like my neighborhood, it is creepy, scary. If I had children and I was walking with them, I would absolutely be avoiding a number of streets in my neighborhood this time of year. Do people decorate for Halloween where you are? Because I don't remember that growing up, like at least not as hardcore. There are some like thousand dollar displays in my neighborhood. I'm telling you. So Anyway, that's that's a Halloween thing. That is not a Day of the Dead thing. So doing all the scary costumes and decorating and stuff like that is not done actually at all in most parts of Mexico, which is where the Day of the Dead originated. 
So Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos is actually a two-day holiday, which I definitely did not know. It's a two-day holiday that reunites the living and the dead. Families create ofrendas or offerings to honor their departed family members that have passed. These are altars that are decorated with bright yellow marigold flowers, photos of the departed, and their favorite foods and drinks of the ones that are being honored. The offerings are believed to encourage visits from the land of the dead as the departed souls hear their prayers, smell their foods, and join in on the celebrations. One of the biggest difference of, differences of the Day of the Dead from anything else remotely like it is that it is celebrating death and life. It is unlike any other holiday where mourning is, in this instance, is exchanged for celebration. And I think that's really cool. It's a cool way to keep your family's memory and your heritage alive and to keep celebrating all of the things that have been passed down because we all are who we are from people that we might not even know or that we might not, you know, take the time to really remember. So here's the part where there's like, there's multiple parts to it. Dia de los Angelitos, or the Day of the Little Angels, starts the holiday at midnight on November 1st. So that's going to be like midnight, like tonight, like midnight Halloween, where the spirits of all the deceased children are believed to be reunited with their families for 24 hours. So families construct an altar, which is that ofrenda, with the ch departed child's favorite snacks, candies, toys, photographs to encourage a visit from departed children. And the names of departed children will often be written on the sugar skull, which is probably something that you've seen in decorations for this day. Then at midnight of the following day, November 2nd, the celebrations shift to honor the lives of departed adults. The night is filled with laughter, fun memories, much like the night before. However, the ofrendas, the altars, take on a more adult-like theme with tequila, pende muerto, mezcal, and jars of atoli. So families will also play games together, reminisce about their loved ones, and dance while you know there's music. It is very much a celebration of life. The next day, so the, during the day of November 2nd, is the grand finale when there are public celebrations of Dia de los Muertos. In more recent times, people actually come together in their cities dressed up with the calavera painted faces, which is like the skeleton painted faces that you may have seen. And they have parades in the streets. Cemetery visits are also common on this last day. Families go and decorate their grave sites with marigold flowers, gifts, and sugar skulls with de the departed's name on them. It is also customary at this time to clean the gravestone and restore the color. I love marigold flowers, so I looked a little more into why that was like the customary flower. And marigolds in the Mexican culture are believed to be the pathway that guides the spirits to their ofrendas or to the altar. The flower's vibrant colors and the scent is supposed to attract the departed souls as they return to feast on their favorite foods. Marigolds are actually native to Mexico and Central America. Have you seen Coco, the Disney movie, Coco? It's Disney, right? I think so. It is It is such a beautiful representation of this holiday and the culture, and it's a really wonderful and heartwarming story. So that is a great place to start if you want to learn more and really just enjoy 
a beautiful movie that happens to be based around this holiday. But really good representation of that. And Mexicans are actually not the only ones that celebrate the Day of the Dead. Part of the reason that I wanted to learn more about this holiday is because, first of all, I just think we've been exposed to it a little bit more. And it's always interesting to know about things in other cultures that, you know, our neighbors are celebrating. And also because my husband said, like, I think this is a really cool thing. And it's something that I would like to celebrate, like, with our families. And so I was like, okay, well, we need to learn, or at least I need, he knows more about it than I do. And I'm like, I need to learn more about it and look into this. Uh, because obviously you want to hold true to the meaning and we'll talk a little bit more about that here, but yeah, it is actually a widely celebrated holiday all over the world. Many religious communities celebrate all souls day, which is also known as all saints day. And I having being raised Catholic as well as my husband, that is the holiday that we are familiar with. And that is celebrated during the same time as the day of the dead. It has that same meaning of the act of honoring the dead being widely celebrated, but Day of the Dead in the Mexican culture is unique in its traditions. So the ofrenda or the altar, the meaning of life and death, the use of calaveras, the style influenced by the Mexican culture, and more recently, the festivals in the streets. So like the marigolds, obviously the tequila, the mezcal, all of the the Mexican culture things are very specific to that culture. So here's where I want to talk about, you know, can I celebrate Dia de los Muertos? I'm not Mexican. I don't have any Mexican people in my family. And this is a good opportunity, I guess, to take a little time to talk about cultural appropriation, which I think is a term that we might hear a lot, or maybe we don't even hear it. Here's the thing. I feel like I don't hear it. We just like, it's just like talked about as like this judgy thing, but we're not actually even using the term of what it is. So the term cultural appropriation is the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of customs, practices, ideas, etc., of one people or a society by members of another and, and typically more dominant people or society. I'm going to give some examples of this because I think for all of us, there are times where we don't realize, you know, I, I think it is very rare that anyone is like trying to be offensive or disrespectful. But if we don't know, we don't know. And that's why we need to talk about it. And I think there's all these like criticisms that can be out there, but not necessarily enough discussion about why we're criticizing it and how we can learn from it. So here are some like very general examples of cultural appropriation, which is like maybe not so great. An example of this would be a white chef opening up a Mexican restaurant and profiting off of traditional Mexican recipes. Or a fashion designer who uses African African prints in their designs, who is not from that back background, but doesn't share, you know, any of any of the profits with the tribes where those prints originated from. So you're using something that is very, you know, culturally meaningful to someone else and, you know, only exists because of them that you have no direct tie to and that you're not intending to share any form of, especially if you're profiting off of it, right? Like that's just, it's just not a good look. It's not great. Here are some 
pop culture examples, because there are examples that have happened like recently that might help you understand this concept a little bit more. It certainly helps me to wrap my head around it to look at it this way. So Kendall Jenner, you may have heard of her. Uh, one of Chris Jenner, the, she's one of the Kardashians, right? She's one of the younger Kardashians. She has a tequila brand. It's called 818 Tequila. It's actually pretty good. I've tried it. Uh, but it has been critiqued and accused of having a lack of recognition of the Mexican workers who produce the alcohol. Also, the label reads Blanco Tequila, which is actually a grammatical error in Spanish. It should read Tequila Blanco. So I think that's a really good example of like I that one was kind of hard for me to believe. Like I would assume that she has a lot of really smart people working around her who would have recognize that. And so it's just like a bummer that we're overlooking things like that still. Right. Cause it seems like something small, but it's really not. And it, it makes a really big difference in, in the meaning behind something and the way that you're acknowledging it and giving credit. This is another example, which I just wanted to share because it's, it's more extreme and it can show how like sometimes things like this can be really dangerous. This is like physically dangerous, uh, but certainly mentally dangerous. Uh, could be another angle of it. This self-help guru named James Arthur Ray incorporated a sweat lodge, which was a sacred practice adopted from Native American culture, into his retreats. He did not properly recreate the ritual. He used plastic tarps to cover the lodges, and this ultimately led to the death of three people in 2009 in a retreat that he had in Sedona, Arizona. Three people died following the sauna-like ceremony that was meant to provide spiritual cleansing, and 18 people were hospitalized from it. And then others had to be, like, given water and, you know, brought back to a healthy place. So, yeah, not great if he had taken some time to understand the meaning behind it and the way that it was used in a more healthy, meaningful way. Perhaps that would not have happened. James Arthur Ray was found guilty on three counts of negligent homicide. So, yeah, can sometimes lead to some pretty bad things and not just, you know, being offensive. Everyday examples, like how are we most vulnerable to cultural appropriation without maybe realizing it? Halloween is a great example. You might be wearing a headdress, kimonos, any clothing that like symbolizes facets of other cultures as a costume is a form of cultural appropriation because these styles often have a very meaningful significance in other cultures and are worn for, for specific locate or specific occasions, right? Uh, blackface would be a very obvious, I hope, ver um, example of cultural appropriation. So, you know, it is significantly wrong to wear these things that are worn for specific occasions. And then like other cases like blackface are, you know, just, just plain wrong. Another example that maybe hits a little bit closer to home as a sports fan is sports mascots. So the U S has had many sports teams take on names uh, and mascots that are symbols uh, or titles of native American tribes. And this is something that has very recently come to light and this is a perfect example of something that I feel like happened, but there wasn't a lot of conversation and education around it. 
So for example, the NFL's Washington Commanders were previously known as the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians are now known as the Cleveland Guardians. I would love for there to be more conversation and more education around why that happened and why it is not the same as say like for the Atlanta Braves. I, there just needs to be more conversation around stuff like that because I think we all are uncomfortable and can sometimes be critical of things that we don't fully understand. So we got to take the time to understand it. And that's why I just wanted to talk a little bit more about it because obviously it's cool to learn more about holidays like Dia de los Muertos and to think that it's cool and want to adopt it. And similar to the practice of yoga, that is something that comes from ancient Indian culture and has been around and is really meaningful in a way that many of us are not aware of and you know have never taken the time to understand is does that mean that practicing yoga is always a form of cultural appropriation? No, but how can we be aware of it and how can we practice it in a way that brings awareness and an education and honors the origination of it and and the original meaning behind it, which actually is what allows us to get what we really want to get out of it and, and get what was always intended to get out of it. So that's what I'm really talking about here. And thanks for taking a little time to take a look at that with me from a couple different angles. But happy Dia de los Muertos to those who do celebrate. I think it's a really cool way to honor those who have made such a huge impact on our lives and to keep their memory alive. And it's wonderful to think about the celebration of life, right? It's obviously terribly sad and difficult to lose loved ones at any point in life. And it's something that we all go through. It's a very shared experience. So to have that other side of it where we can celebrate it and keep their memory alive is, is really wonderful. And it's a very cool part of Mexican culture that I think we can all learn from and connect to. Let's talk about now the other big thing that is that is happening this time of year, and that's, of course, the World Series. I know we touched on it a little bit because the snakes are alive, and Game 3 is just underway as I'm recording this. But we've got some stuff to talk about here with both the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think one of the biggest storylines around the World Series this year is that both the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks lost 100 games or more just two seasons ago in 2021. So it's a big thing that if you even just watch the broadcast that I'm sure you've heard be mentioned. So I wanted to take a look at the differences in these two teams and where they're at coming into the series, but really where they were at like two years ago and how they've gotten to where they are now because they have done it very differently. And they are two very different organizations in, in the way that they they run and the way that their teams are built really as well. And it's interesting to see that play out in real time in these games. So the Rangers have been around since 1961 when they were originally the Washington Senators as an expansion team granted to Washington, D.C., and as an organization, whether as the Senators or the Rangers, they have never won a World Series. 
So that's a really exciting narrative that you may have heard Corey Seeker, who's one of their star players, talk about that that was really meaningful for him to be able to come over and sign his big deal last year with the Rangers with the potential of knowing that they had this intent to go for it and, and bring a World Series championship home to an organization that has never had one before. So that's a fun storyline that we're following for the Rangers. The Rangers had a come-from-behind win to take Game 1 of the World Series just the other night. They were coming into the ninth inning down 5-3. Leody Tavares drew a leadoff walk, and Corey Seager, that star player that they are paying for, man, he unloaded an absolute bomb on the first pitch that he saw from our bestie Paul Seawald, and ultimately he tied the game at 5. Yeah. I thought I thought it was shut down. You know what? I was watching that game. It was Friday night. I work on Saturday. So I work like a Tuesday through Saturday schedule, and my Saturdays are early. So I want to say it was like 10.45 in the ninth inning. It was pretty late here. Uh, I mean, relatively, at least for me, for an old gal uh, here on a Friday night. But it was mostly late for me because I work at 6 a.m. on Saturday. No, I don't leave my house. So – you know, it's not as early as if I had a commute and all of that, but I had to get up really early. I also was really sick last week. So I was like on my couch blowing my nose constantly. I top of the ninth inning, I drank my Theraflu because I was like, okay, I'm going to drink my nighttime Theraflu, which I get it has, I don't know if it actually has like a sleep aid in it, but it's definitely, you know, it's the nighttime one. So I was ready to, you know, it was time for Paul Seawald to pitch and I was ready to call it a night, but I had to stay up at like another hour when they ultimately went into extra innings, took us all the way to the bottom of the 11th and Adolis Garcia did what Adolis Garcia does, particularly in the postseason here. And he walked it off with a home run to take game one for the Rangers six to five. What a way to come out set the stage for the World Series, especially for those who may have had the narrative that a Rangers-Diamondbacks World Series was not going to be exciting. That was one of the best baseball games that might have been played all season. It was awesome. All right, so the Diamondbacks. Uh, oh, one more thing I wanted to mention actually about that game was, if you're a Cardinals fan, you know this, but that walk-off win in the 11th inning came 12 years to the date from when the Cardinals had their epic comeback against the Rangers in the 2011 World Series where David Freeze hit a walk-off home run in the 11th inning to win game six and keep the Cardinals alive in an elimination game. So obviously it was a game one versus game six, not exactly the same, but the fact that there was an 11th inning walk-off home run in a Rangers World Series game on the same day, Major League Baseball, baseball is crazy, man. You're like, that. there's no way that's ever happened before. And like some very weird specific thing just like that. Actually, yeah, it happened on October 27th, 12 years ago. But it was against the Rangers so they're taking a little bit of that magic back and and this time they walked it off in their favor. So very exciting game 1 and then looking at the other side where the Diamondbacks took game 2. The Diamondbacks franchise was established uh, much more recently in 1995 and they joined Major League Baseball as an expansion team in 1998. 
they won the World Series in 2001, making them the fastest expansion team in Major League Baseball history to win a World Series. But that was the last time that they were in the World Series, way back in 2001. Now, while you might argue that the Diamondbacks should be up to two to zero if they hadn't let that game one get away from them, I've heard a lot of talk about that. They sure looked dominant in game two. Merrill Kelly pitched the absolute game of his life. And Jordan Montgomery on the other side for the Rangers was very solid. But Kelly was so dominant that it made it seem like it was like much more of a blowout than it actually was for the majority of the game. Now, once the Rangers bullpen took over, Snakes really came alive and they won game two, nine to one. But it was crazy. I feel like the the com- commentary around that game the whole time was like it was a blowout. And it felt like one of those games where the score was much more lopsided than it actually was. And that was because of how just zoned in, locked in on it Merrill Kelly was. And and he has such an amazing story. You may have seen some stuff going around about him, but he actually did not sign a major league contract until he was 30 years old with the Diamondbacks, been with that organization for the last five years now. But he spent years in the Korean leagues really figuring things out to get himself noticed and to really establish that trust and and worth for, at, for himself as a major league player. And yeah, when they, they said something about him being 35 years old during the broadcast, and I was like, I guess I knew that, but I had totally forgot. And it's just amazing to see him at the top of his game, at the top of his career, after all that he has been through. And the interviews that he's done have been really great. So catch up on some of that if you're looking to dive in deeper to Merrill Kelly and the success that the Diamondbacks are having right now. The other thing that I wanted to take a look at was, as we talked about, the both of these teams lost over 100 games two years ago. So what do their rosters look like now versus two years ago? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Only 10% of the 40-man roster from the Texas Rangers in 2021, only 10% of that roster still remains. So that's four players. Four players that were on the 40-man roster two years ago are still there. Joe Barlow is the only pitcher on the Rangers roster that was there in 2021, still around for the 2023 World Series. Then you've got Jonah Heim, uh, their catcher, Nathaniel Lowe, who's an infielder, Adolis Garcia, of course, and Leody Tavares. So they are the only ones remaining that were on that roster from that uh, sub-100 loss, or I'm sorry, that over-100 loss team. Whoo! On the other hand, 32.5% of the 40-man roster from the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2021 remains, including many of their starters, of the guys that you might know best, Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, Cattell Marte, Christian Walker, and Geraldo Perdomo. Six starting pitchers, one catcher, six position players are still around. Looking at their uh, most facing Coaching staff, Bruce Bochy, the manager of the Rangers. He has over 20 years of managerial experience, and he is actually a three-time world champion manager with the San Francisco Giants. But this is his first year with the Rangers. He was absolutely brought in to take this team 
to the World Series to get them a championship, which is exactly what he's done. Fun facts about Bruce Bochy. When I was uh, doing my little research here to see, you know, how long he had been a manager, I found out that he was born in France, where his dad was stationed there. His dad was in the Army. And he played baseball in high school with Saturday Night Live former cast member Daryl Hammond who was like one of my favorites to watch growing up on SNL. So I just thought that was so fun. They, yeah, they grew up in Florida together. Tori Lovello on the other side, the Diamondbacks manager, he has been the manager of the Diamondbacks since 2017. So much longer tenure with his team, the same way that like many more guys have been on that roster. There's been a much longer investment in getting this team to where they're ultimately at this year. But in 2017, Tori Lavella was actually the manager of the year, his first year as a big league manager. Pretty cool. He actually was also a World Series champion uh, as a coach in 2013 with the Red Sox when they beat the Cardinals. So there you go. And that's when Nathan Avaldi, who is one of the best starting pitchers, probably the best starting pitcher for the Rangers now, was also on that team. So interesting. Actually, no, he wasn't. That was in 2018. I lied. I'm like, Nathan Avaldi is not that old. Cut that. Can we cut that? Producer June. <laughs> no, Nathan Avaldi was a World Series champion with the Red Sox in 2018. Tori Lavello was in 2013. Wow. So I just ended up talking about how many times the Red Sox have won the World Series recently, which I didn't mean to talk about. Let's move on. Tori's full name is Salvatore Anthony. I also thought that was fun. And his dad, Sam Lovello, was a producer of the long-running television country comedy variety show called Hee Haw and its spinoff series, Hee Haw Honeys. Sam was actually the producer of many other television shows and specials as well. I thought that was cool that his dad worked in entertainment I think there's a lot of ties in sports and entertainment, especially in professional sports and entertainment, because at the end of the day, it's really all the same thing, right? Looking back at these Rangers and Diamondbacks rosters and comparing them even more, we've got four rookies on the Rangers postseason roster. We've got nine rookies on the Diamondbacks postseason roster. So that really aligns, makes a lot of sense with the amount of turnover that we've seen from the Rangers and then the amount of investment and retained players that we've seen from the Diamondbacks as a whole in that organization. So all of this to say, to simplify, you know, to really simplify it here, the two different approaches of these teams is that the Rangers have shelled out the cash and recruited the best of the best who have already proven their worth while the Diamondbacks have invested in development both on and off the field. Is one approach better than the other? Is one more respectable than the other? Is one more sustainable than the other? Is, I think, the biggest question. The Rangers are fourth in payroll for the 2023 season. Interestingly enough, uh, it, for their payroll, over 15% of their payroll is on the injured list. And obviously, Jacob deGrom is a huge part of that because I think he's like 11% or something of their payroll. He's got a pretty big chunk there. 
but the Diamondbacks are 21st in payroll. That This is something that I'm surprised we haven't heard more about because we've, we've heard a lot about the similarities, right, of these two teams of having the over 100 lost seasons just a couple years ago and how far they've come. But I haven't heard as much talk about the differences in, in the sense, I guess, of how they are built organizationally. We know the differences in the sense of like the Texas Rangers have – the bigger stars, the bigger names, the bigger contracts, and the Diamondbacks have the more scrappy players, the small ball, all that good stuff. But really foundationally, like they are very different and nothing shows that more than their payroll. So Diamondbacks 21st to the Rangers fourth among the 30 teams in Major League Baseball. Their payroll, uh, the Diamondbacks, is less than half of the Rangers. It is around 116 million, which makes it 132 million dollars less than the Rangers. That's nuts. Almost 33% of the Diamondbacks payroll is retained salaries, which means leftover salaries from players who have been traded or released or buyouts for declined options. You may know who I'm talking about, who's the majority of that, Madison Bumgarner who was released in August, he is the highest paid Diamondbacks player by far. He holds over 15% of the payroll. And the Diamondbacks are on the hook for almost double what they are paying their next highest paid player, who is Cattell Marte. That's nuts. So in conclusion, while the Rangers might look better on paper in terms of like star power and experience and more conventional power in their lineup, those are exactly what the dollars are paying for, right? Producer June's getting worked up. Something must be happening in this World Series Game 3. So it's time for me to wrap it up. But when it comes down to all the tools of the game, I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is I, I do think the Diamondbacks may objectively be the better team. As an organization, I think it's certainly easier to root for the Diamondbacks and to have a lot of respect for what they've been able to do with their resources. So, I don't know. I'm probably always somebody who's going to root for the underdog too, but not always. I mean, I'm a Cardinals fan. The Cardinals are so rarely the underdog. But the thing that I think I appreciate as a Cardinals fan is, you know the Cardinals organization is, is never going to be the organization that spends the most money. They're never going to be, literally never. If you're waiting for that, if you're holding your breath, go be a Mets fan for real because it's just never going to happen. But that's something that I actually appreciate about them because it's why they can have sustainable success. And it's just smart business. And to some extent, I'm not saying that I'm pro-owner because I'm really, really not. I don't think we need more billionaires or even millionaires in this world. And that's another topic for another day. <laughs> Don't get me started. But I do think that you have to acknowledge the fact that it's a business, right? And I've talked about that before too. And if it means that we can be good and competitive every year, I'm all for it. And so I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole because I've already kept you all here for far too long. And World Series Game 3 is underway, so I'm going to hop off and go watch that. But a very happy and safe Halloween to all of you. Happy Dio de los Muertos to those who celebrate. And if you don't, look into it, learn some more about it, find some appreciation for it. You can follow Peace, Love, and Baseball on Spotify. 
on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music. And you can find me at Kbird Tweets, K-B-U-R-D Tweets, on the Twitter, Twitter forever. That's where you're going to find most most of all the updates that you really need, all the fun conversation, all that good stuff. You can also follow Peace, Love, and Baseball on Instagram at peace.love.baseball. So check that out. We have a Facebook page. We're on Facebook, Peace, Love, and Baseball. Look it up. And we're at Kbird Tweets, uh, Peace, Love, and Baseball on YouTube too. It is awesome if you can follow the show on Spotify. That's uh, something that's very trackable. And it's awesome if you can subscribe on YouTube. It's even more awesome if you can tell your friends, if you can spread the word, maybe give it a good five-star rating, leave a little review if you feel so inclined because we're going to keep spreading the good word. I will see you next week for more peace, love, and baseball. Baseball.